What's up? Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, November 2nd, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel. Also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back. Give them a call for more information, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you had a safe Halloween weekend. Um, I did not get dressed up. I had no costume this weekend. And I told you on Friday's show, I even told you on WEI Saturday, you know, if you did not have a costume over the weekend, I still think you, you should have gone out and had a good time for yourself Saturday night. I did. I did. I had a good time for myself, even though I had no costume. Uh, you got to find a place that has people that don't have costumes. I actually think, and I've said this a couple times, I think there's a market for some type of barroom, local establishment, nightclub, whatever it is. There's a, there's a market on, on Halloween night if it's on a weekend at least, I should say, there is definitely a market for a place that you say no costumes allowed. You cannot wear a costume to come in. And I think you'll get, because I think you get people that don't have costumes that want to go out that might feel like, well, maybe they can't because every street that I turn down, there's somebody running around in a costume. Now, this isn't even knocking people who got dressed up. You want to get dressed up? Get dressed up. I, it's whatever. I mean, most people are getting dressed up. But I still think there's a lot of people that don't want to wear a costume or don't have one to wear if Halloween falls on a Friday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night. But um, I did not get dressed up over the weekend. But I was able to still watch everything that went on in the world of sports. And we'll talk about it today as I do every weekday. You can get this podcast at dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, anywhere podcasts are available and before I close out the show, I will react to NFL Week 8 and everything that happened on Sunday and go over my picks, the picks that I made on Friday. I make them every Friday. I give you five games with the spread. I'll tell you how I did there. But I got to begin with baseball, and I got to begin with the World Series because the Kansas City Royals, they are the World Series champions. They defeat the New York Mets in five games to win the World Series the Royals win game five last night by a score of seven to two extra innings, a 12 inning game. And um, we can get into just how that 12th inning went for the Kansas City Royals and throw out some of the names that deserve a whole lot of credit. And the guys that deserve to be called the heroes of this game five, much like 26 year old Christian Cologne. In his first at-bat of the postseason, in just his second year in Major League Baseball, in really his first at-bat since October 4th, he steps up and he comes up with a huge hit, and it drives in a run that turns out to be the game-winning run and the World Series clinching run in the 12th inning. But it should have never even got the 12 innings. And I don't usually like to begin my analysis and reaction to uh, you know, a day after a team wins a championship by going at the team that lost. I do think the Kansas City Royals deserve a whole lot of credit. 
for winning the championship. I mean, I, I know you can laugh at that statement. Well, of course they deserve credit. They just won a fucking championship. But sometimes certain things happen throughout a series or even in the last couple games of a series that you can look back at, you can either second guess, or you can say, if it wasn't for some of these terrible mistakes that the other team made, then perhaps the team that won it would not have won it. Now, like I said, Royals deserve credit. They came up with big hits in big spots, like they throw Christian Cologne at the plate last night. First at bat of the postseason, comes up with the big hit, and then they get a couple more hits. You know, the Royals do all the right things. They are a feisty team. They are going to steal bags on you. They're going to, you know, take try to take extra bases on a lot of plays that maybe the other teams wouldn't be able to do that. You know, we know they can pitch. We know they have a great bullpen. They always keep fighting. I mean, you go back to the first series that they played against the Houston Astros and the way that they fought back to win that series in a, in a couple of those games. I mean, the Kansas City Royals, this is a team that got back to the World Series for the second straight year after losing to Madison Bumgarner and the Giants last year. And they deserve to be called champions and to be praised as champions today. But... The biggest story of this one, because it's so fresh, and it happened last night. You know what? You could say you go back to Saturday night and something that happened then, too, in Game 4. Because, look, the Royals won the first two games of the series in Kansas City. It goes to New York. You get Syndergaard in Game 3 on Friday night. First pitch of the game, he goes up and in at Escobar. And after the game, he says, well, you know, I knew he liked to swing at the first pitch fastball. And I, so I knew he wasn't going to want to swing at that one. And, you know, the Royals were, ye- were yelling at him. And you get, the, you get a big hit from David Wright. You actually get a huge hit from Syndergaard for the Mets later in that game off of your Donald Ventura with two strikes and two outs that keeps the inning alive. Next batter, Curtis Grandison, hits a home run. You can look at Syndergaard on the mound and at the plate, stepping up big for that Mets team, winning game three, cutting the series to a Royals two games to one lead. You go to game four on Saturday night, and you get a brutal error. The, the baseball gods, the baseball gods are funny, huh? Right? Daniel Murphy, just a terrible error on Saturday night. They blew a three to two lead in the eighth. Clip and walk two batters. They put familiar in. This is game four Saturday. They put familiar in. But the Daniel Murphy error with two on and one out scores the tying run. He's charging a ball, gets under his glove. It's brutal error. Scored the tying run, and then the Royals, they scored. They ended up uh, scoring a couple runs in that eighth inning and taking a lead and winning that game because of the Daniel Murphy error in the eighth inning in game four. It put the Royals up three games to one in the series. And when you get to last night, Game five in New York because it was a 2-3-2 series. So you get three straight nights in New York. You know, we are today talking about the Royals winning a championship. But, you know, we should be talking about. And I look, I'm not trying to take anything away from what the Royals did. I just told you how I felt about their team and them being called champions. They deserve to be called champions. But perhaps it shouldn't be after game five. Because the Mets last night. With Matt Harvey on the mound, absolutely dominating in this game. You got everything you could have asked for and more from him on normal rest last night from Matt Harvey. His final line, 
no decision, eight innings, five hits, two earned runs, walked two, struck out nine, 111 pitches, did not let up a long ball in this one. But you got a, you, you, you got eight shutout innings from him, having thrown 100 pitches. He comes back in to the dugout. And he's doing his normal thing. He's sitting. You can even see he kind of walks by, right by Terry Collins after that eighth inning. And he goes and sits in his normal spot. Goes and sits in his normal spot. And you have a two to nothing lead in this one. Matt Harvey is dominant. And you got one more inning. You got three more outs. And you're going back to Kansas City for a game six. Handing the ball off to Jacob DeGrom going up against Johnny Cueto, a rematch of Game 2. And again, for the most part, DeGrom's been awesome this postseason, and he's been awesome on the road specifically. I know they lost Game 2, but uh, DeGrom, to me, made a couple very bad mistakes. I thought the Royals were in his head a little bit in that fifth inning in Game 2 that he, he let up a couple runs, and he started inst- he wasn't getting any swings and misses, remember? And he went to the off-speed stuff a little bit too much. And, and, the, and the Royals, they were in his head, right? But that was going to be a rematch. You want to be in that situation. You were going to be in that situation. And then you get to the ninth inning. Now, it's, it's the talk of the town. It's the talk of the World Series. It's the talk of sports. This is uh, a decision as well that Terry Collins, it sounds like Mets manager Terry Collins is going to have to live with this for the rest of his life. Here's what Terry Collins said after the game. He said, quote, I let my heart get in the way of my gut. It was my fault, end quote. It's a powerful comment. And if you don't know what he's talking about and you fell asleep after the eighth inning or in the eighth inning last night, thinking to yourself that this one was over, that Matt Harvey was dealing, or maybe you believed in Familia, who... Has blown had blown two saves in this World Series. He was awesome the first two series. Had blown two. And I know the second save that Familia blew game four Saturday night was not necessarily his fault. Daniel Murphy needs to catch that ball in the eighth. And Clifford can't walk two guys in that eighth inning either. He can't. But at the same time, even after that, Familia didn't. It's not like, you know, he got him right out of the inning. It opened things up. And Familia stayed on. Maybe he was rattled. But hey, blows the save. So he had already blown two saves because you go back to game one. Familia comes in. You think he's going to save that game one? Let's up a solo home run in the ninth inning to Alex Gordon. And that ties the game. And you know that was the marathon extra inning game where Bartolo Colon pitched it against Chris Young. Both of them out of the bullpen. Right? The sack fly for the Royals wins it. And Hosmer gets himself off the hook for a terrible error that Hosmer made early in that game one. Familia blew that save. He blew the save in game four. He's blown two in this World Series. Matt Harvey was absolutely dealing. Mets manager Terry Collins in the ninth inning. Well, I shouldn't even say they decide to stick with Matt Harvey because, in fact, they told Matt Harvey that his night was done after eight innings as he sat there in the dugout. The pitching coach walked over to him, told him his night was done. Matt Harvey stood up. He said, no, I'm not. I'm not leaving this game. I'm going back in. He had thrown 100 pitches. He was absolutely dealing. This was his game. It was his game to lose. And I'm at the time, I'm watching him tell the pitching coach, that he's not coming back in, I'm going, he's right. 
He needs to go back in. Javi needs to go back into this game. I was saying it at the time. So I can't, one thing I cannot do today is I can't sit here and go after manager Terry Collins. You get to sleep on it, you say in hindsight, eh, you start thinking about, well, I guess game four wasn't necessarily all familiar's fault. You know, if Murphy doesn't make that error, then maybe he gets out of that and the Mets win that game and even up the series at two. We could go back, what ifs, what ifs, whatever. How I felt in the moment last night was Matt Harvey needed to go back out and pitch the ninth. He needed to. This was his game. 100 pitches, I don't give a shit how many pitches he threw. He was feeling it. He had a quick eighth inning, right? For what it's worth, he had a quick eighth inning. He comes in. The pitching coach comes down, tell him, tries to tell him he's out of the game. He's getting taken out. They're bringing Familia in for the three-out save in the ninth. Javi stands up. He goes, no, I'm not. that's not happening. That's not happening. Javi walks down to Terry Collins, and he says, I'm staying in this fucking game. Now, maybe not with the F-bomb, but the passion was there. Javi was bringing it. This was his game. He was winning back the entire city. Because you've got to think back at Matt Harvey's story here at the end of the year. Scott Boris, his agent. You know, Harvey's back this season from Tommy John. You want him, his agent and Matt Harvey himself, they want the Mets to put him on the Matt Harvey plan. He can only pitch so many innings. So, with that said, at, in the last month of the regular season, in a pennant race, they had to sit Matt Harvey, miss a couple starts, and even limit his pitch count and his innings in the middle of a, of a game, of a meaningful game. And I'm looking at that, and I, a lot of people are looking at that going, you can't be serious. Your team's in a, you're the ace of this team. Your team is in a playoff race. You can't be doing this. You seem fine to us. You think that if you throw another 20 innings, 27 innings, that your arm's going to fall off? Well, him and his agent, they were looking out uh, for some things that, uh, you know, the doctors told him to do, that Dr. James Andrews told him to do and look for, and they talked the Mets into putting him on this Matt Harvey plan at the end. And we were questioning, is this guy going to pitch in the postseason? And turns out he did pitch in the postseason. He did. But when you get to the postseason, mandatory team workout before the, right, right before the playoff begins, right? During the playoffs, he misses a mandatory workout as the ace how do you miss a mandatory workout? You oversleep. You show up late. He missed it. You heard the comments. You read the quotes. Terry Collins is pissed. The Mets were pissed. I'd be pissed too if I was on that team. I'd be pissed too if I was a fan of that team. So I have found myself, I don't have a horse in this race, Royals, Mets, postseason. I don't. I'm just looking for exciting postseason baseball. That's what you got. And also what you got last night was Matt Harvey winning a lot of people over, winning a lot of them back. And even myself, as someone, because of those things that I've just told you about with Matt Harvey, I have been, I've been crushing this guy, and I've been rooting against him. And I mean, how could you not root for the guy on the other side last night who got the start? And Edison Volquez. His father passes away. You know, did he know? Did he not know in the, the last game that he pitched? You know, in, what, in game one? Did he know? Did he not know? We were going back and forth on that with multiple reports. Um, either way. We know the situation. He goes home for the funeral, comes back, pitching with a heavy heart. You know, he puts his father's initials, writes them behind the mound right before his first pitch. And, you know, how can you not root for that guy? How can you not root for Volquez last night? But all that aside, this game goes on. The Mets take a 2 nothing lead. Matt Harvey is absolutely dominating, and he finishes that eighth. They try to tell him he's being taken out so they can put Familia in to come in for the save, 
And Matt Harvey says, no, 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 no. This is my game. It's my game. And you want to know how I felt? Me, as I'm sitting there watching this? I'm going, you got to keep Harvey in the game. It's his game. You got to keep him in. And this is, I'm someone who, going into the World Series, told you the Mets were going to win the World Series because I thought Familia was going to have a, was going to play a huge role. But look at this. Game one, he had an opportunity to come in and get the save, and he lets up a game tying home run. So I don't care what happens the first two series. It did look like oh, eh, Familia, who pitched a lot of innings. Were you comfortable with him? And then he comes in game four, and what happens? Sure, the Daniel Murphy error on Saturday night was terrible, was awful. That can't happen. Tied the game at three. But it's not like Familia then got them right out of the inning with the game tied at three. He let up an RBI single, let up another RBI single. It was 5-3, Kansas City in that eighth. So you're looking at that, and it has to, it was in my head. Now, at first, it wasn't necessarily in Terry Collins' head. At first, it wasn't necessarily in the pitching coach or the coaching staff for the Mets' heads. They, they, act, they wanted to go to Familia. Matt Harvey talked them out of it. And, but, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, the coaching staff, Terry Collins has the final say. Like, Matt Harvey could say that all he wants, and Terry Collins could still say, enough, I'm managing this game, you're out, and I'm putting my foot down here. But the fact that he didn't, and he let Matt Harvey go back out to that mound. I'm sitting there last night watching this game going, that's the right move. This is the right move. You've got to put Harvey out there. Now, I've been getting tweets from people asking me if I saw the game. Yes, I did see it. I didn't tweet during it. Uh, I won't lie. This whole ninth inning sort of woke me up. I was getting tired. I was falling asleep. That's a long day. you got a football game that begins at 930 in the morning. As Kansas City whoops, or the Kansas City Chiefs, they whoop the Lions in London. You got football all day, got the red zone going, you got the Sunday night game, uh, Peyton Manning throwing for over 300 yards, not throwing a touchdown, but the Broncos defense all over Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and the Broncos beat the Packers in Denver, and Green Bay's no longer undefeated, but the Broncos, well, they're still undefeated. So, you got a lot going on, and you're flipping back and forth from the baseball to the football. I won't lie, I watched, I was mostly on the baseball game. With one TV in front of me, the remote control in my hand, mostly on the baseball game last night. But the ninth inning, you know, I'm passing out a little bit. I'm going, eh, the Mets got this in the bag. And especially when they decide they're going to put Matt Harvey back on the mound, I say, great call. That's the right decision. This is his game. You cannot pull him from this game. And, and you know what pissed me off during that moment? Tom Verducci. I, I like Verducci, Sports Illustrated. I do. I like Verducci. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan. If you listen to me and you listen to the show, you know, I'm not a fan of the three-man booth in Major League Baseball play-by-play. I like the two-man booth. I do. And, you know, right now they got Joe Buck, they got Harold Reynolds, and they got Tom Viducci. You got the play-by-play guy who I think is one of the – I think is the best. I think Joe Buck is the best. People always say they don't like him, and I'm always kind of – I'm just like, Why? Like, why don't you like him? Because it sounds to me like you're just looking for something to not like. You're looking to be miserable. You're looking to complain about something because it's not your hometown guy. Like, just shut the fuck up and listen to him. Joe Buck, when I hear Joe Buck, I know it's a big game. And that's why I like him. I think he gets in, he shows the enthusiasm. And I'm going to play you the final World Series call. And, and the Kansas City radio call is horrible of the Royals' win. Joe Buck was great. I'll give you those two calls in just a few minutes. 
We're going over what happened last night before you could even get to that call because perhaps you should have never even got that type of call, World Series champion call, because the Mets should have closed this thing out in the ninth inning. And with all those things that I just talked about, the Matt Harvey situation, Terry Collins is going to get crushed now because the Mets blew it and they lose the game. But, but I'm just, we're going over how it played out, and I'm going over how I felt at the time. Because what you're going to get today is a lot, and you already have it, you already see it, you already hear it. Everybody's on their fucking soapbox. Everybody's a Major League Baseball manager. Everybody is now going, oh, he shouldn't have put, you know, he shouldn't have put Harvey back in for the ninth. Look, I watched this game, and if you watch this game, and you're saying to yourself that Matt Harvey should not come out in the ninth, before the, I'm talking about, don't even give me your opinion before you saw Harvey trying to talk Collins into having him go back out. Like, before that even happened, and we're sitting there wondering, wow, is he going to come back out? I mean, I didn't even ask the question myself. I know we saw Familia warming up, but I didn't ask the question. I said, well, Familia's not going to start the ninth. You, <laughs> Matt Harvey is going back out. He's throwing 100 pitches. So what? And that's why Verducci last night was brutal. Oh, my God, he was brutal. For people who crush Harold Reynolds, and rightfully so, he said some very stupid things. Sometimes I think we're being a little bit too nitpicky, and I, I think that we're, we're sort of looking for things that he says. Guys slip up. Guys say some ridiculous things. I get it. Harold Reynolds does, too. But, but if we're going to keep crushing Harold Reynolds, I mean, Tom Verducci, I thought was brutal. Because Tom Verducci, is, he's looking at the decision for when Javi taught, talks Terry Collins to come back into the game. Verducci's sitting there going, up in the booth going, well, you know, this is a huge decision because you're, you don't just have to decide about this game. You have to also think about Matt Harvey's future. See, that is the – Verducci's saying that. That's why I don't like someone like that in the booth. That is a typical media comment from a columnist who loves the story and the drama of the story and the controversy rather than the actual baseball situation. Because I get news for Tom Verducci, as great as he is, okay, as great as he is, and Harold Reynolds shut him up real quick. He's like, yeah, that that's not the situation right there. Um, the situation is, Javi goes back in, and you are not thinking about the future. What, because drew 100 pitches? Why? Because we had the Matt Harvey plan? Why? Because we had all the controversy that I just talked about? No, I'm sorry. The decision to take Harvey out of that game from Terry Collins had everything to do with the fact that Familia was ready to go in the pen as the closer of the team. It had nothing to do with the future of Matt Harvey. So I'm sitting there going, Viducci, shut the fuck up for a second. This isn't about you. This isn't about your story or your controversy or what the media loves to do with some of these stories. It's not about you. This is about baseball. That moment where the Mets had to decide whether or not they were going with Javi, it had nothing to do with his future. What are you, fucking nuts? This is game five of the World Series. You're down three games to one. You are you, all game long. All, you, all anyone could sit there and talk about was, you need Matt Harvey to, if he doesn't go the distance, to at least be the bridge to Familia. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but when I saw Harvey walk off the mound after, that, after eight innings, I wasn't sitting there saying to myself, this is a guy that uh, he doesn't have it anymore. No way. This was Matt Harvey's game to lose. I'm sorry. And I know people want to look at and, and play, you know, put their managerial caps on and they want to do the whole, you know, hindsight thing. I mean, I'm just trying to keep it real and tell you what I was saying at the time last night. This was not about Javi's future. 
This was about who do you want on the mound to finish that game for you. And to me, the way Matt Harvey pitched, I don't care how many pitches he threw. He was he was dominant, nasty. The only guy I wanted to see on that mound, especially given the fact that Familia already blew two saves in the World Series. And don't just tell me that it's because Daniel Murphy made an error in game number four. I get it. Murphy made an error in game four. It led to the tie and run in that eighth inning. Led to the tie and run. But after that tie and run scores, Familia's still on the mound. And what did he do? He let up an RBI single, and then another RBI single, and instead of the game being 3-3, it was 5-3. 5-3, I mean, come on now. I get that the runs weren't charged to Familia because Clip had walked two guys before Familia came in, and then you had an error, but still, you got to minimize the damage of the closure of the team. If the game was still 3-3 after the Murphy error. The game wasn't over. It's 3-3, you're in your own building, your own ballpark, come on. Familia was not great in the World Series. He wasn't. I mean, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't the dominant guy that they needed. If he was, the Mets would have won game one. And if he was, Familia would have at least, at least given the Mets, you know, a shot to to maybe take this game into extra innings in game four. So... I'm looking at that going, no, I just don't feel comfortable with Familia right now. And I feel comfortable with Javi from the Mets. You got to put him out there. So whatever. Javi talks him into letting him go out. It was a tremendous scene. Now, I think at this point, he might have been a little too jacked up. I think, honestly, in my personal opinion, people are going after Terry Collins for throwing Javi back in. If I'm going to go after Terry Collins for anything, it's for actually deciding to tell Javi that he's coming out of the game. I think it just sparked different... You took him out of his... Like, come on! So, all the... I think the drama, maybe they brought it upon themselves. I don't know why they would ever want to take him out in the first place. But I'm sitting there as Javi walks out for the eighth, and he's in the dugout, and I'm going, no, 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 no. You gotta... You know, now I'm, like, standing up. I don't even have a horse in the race, like I said. So, I can't even imagine what this inning was like for a Mets fan. I can't. I'm going, you... How do you not... You can't tell Javi's coming out. All right, they put him back out. That's still, in the moment, the guy I want on the mound. If I'm a Met fan, that's the guy I want. It is. So I have a tough time really coming after Terry Collins. I just, I'm not, so I'm not going to spend, I'm not going to do it. I know a lot of people are, right? You're going to get people who didn't watch that in. You're going to get people who didn't watch the last three innings of that game. They're going to tell you that, whoa, he didn't go to his closer in the ninth. Come on, watch it. Please, see what it was. Know what was going on the rest of the series. Come on. I am sticking with Javi, and I'm not even telling him that he's coming out of the game. Not even telling T's over there doing his thing in the back of the dugout. He's going back out. 100 pitches. Verducci, what the fuck are you talking about? The future? It, there's no future. There's tonight. There's right now. That's it. They sent him back out. He walks a guy. And then, you know, the, the Royals, they go in a... I mean, they went into it, right? That, that's You get that ninth inning, Lorenzo Cain walks, uh, he steals second, and then Hosmer doubles off Javi, and you can just you just kind of feel sick for Terry Collins at that moment. You know? But in my head, I'm going, you know what? You went, That's the guy. If somebody's going to come in and let, it, let up the double, because I would, if I were a Mets fan, and Familia, who I don't know that I would have so much confidence in at this point, given what we've seen in the World Series. If Familia does that, 
Or even if they put Familia in to face Hosma with Kane on second after he walked and then stole second. Even if you put Familia in. Let's say Familia let up that double. I mean, it wasn't guaranteed that he was going to be lights out. I hadn't seen him lights out yet in the World Series when he came in. It wasn't a guarantee. You, let's say you put Familia in there. He lets up the double. I tell you what, I think if I'm a Mets fan, I would feel worse knowing that Matt Harvey through 100 pitches was dominant and you took him out of that game. I'd feel worse. So I'm looking at it going, Harvey was the guy. Harvey was the guy. Okay? That is, we want to talk about how we felt, what our gut was. Instead of sitting here and doing the whole hindsight thing, I get that the normal protocol is eight innings, two-nothing game, 100 pitches, you go to your closer who had 43 saves in a regular season. You go to your closer who was dominant and lights out in the NLDS and the NLCS, but who had a couple hiccups in the World Series. You go to your, it doesn't matter, you go to your closer. I get that's the normal way of handling things. I want the guy managing my team that is going to handle the situation based on that situation. And that situation last night, there is nobody else. If I'm a Mets fan, there's nobody else that I wanted trotting out to that mound for the ninth inning than Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey was the guy I wanted out there. You put the conversation between Collins and the pitching coach and Harvey in the dugout before the inning, put that aside, forget about that for a second. Just look at the game itself and what the game meant and who were your best players at the time? You can't, I, I, you can't just take your best play and keep, and keep him out of that moment. You can't. But he lets up the, he walks a guy, lets up a double. Okay, you got to pull him then. You do. Two to one. And as much, again, as people are going to do the whole hindsight, going after Terry Collins, they blew this game because he threw Matt Harvey out in the mound. I'm sorry, I'm still going to defend you right now. It's still, that wasn't the reason they lost. The main reason, the Mets... I'm not going to Kansas City for a game tomorrow night with Jacob, Jacob DeGrom on the mound. The reason they're not going to Kansas City is because Lucas Duda threw a ball. The ball that he threw home. What the fuck are you doing? I can't even imagine what it was like to be a Mets fan in that moment. Can't imagine it. You got the Daniel Murphy era in game four, right? And, I mean, you got another Daniel Murphy era last night in the 12th. That, might, that if, he gets, if he catches it, turns two. You're probably only trailing by one run instead of five going into the bottom of the 12th. But that's, that's, that's later on in the game. We're still talking about the ninth inning. Familia comes in. Moustakis grounds to first. Hosma goes to third. Right? So you got one out. You got a runner on third. You're up two to one. Perez is at the plate. Again, Familia on the mound. You're up two one. One out, runner at third. You, you couldn't have set it up any more perfect. A dribbler to David Wright at third base, who sort of had a run to his left a little bit and cut it off in front of the shortstop, but it was, you know, it was routine. David Wright scoops it, cuts to his left, scoops it, takes the look at Hosmer at third, looks him back to third base, throws it at first for the second out of the inning. What does Hosmer do? He takes off for home, and Lucas Duda sails one over the catcher's head, wide over his head, however you want to describe it, it was not on the mark. Eric Hosmer was dead to rights. You didn't even have to throw it at the baseline or, or lead him in front of home plate for a perfect throw. All it had to do was, let's play catch, me to you. You go outside right now, okay, let's play catch. Take the ball and hit the catcher. It, does, it doesn't even have to be in a perfect place. Dono catches that ball, if it's to him, 
and he, he can swing his body around, swing his glove around, make the tag. He might even be able to run into Hosma before Hosma slides. That's how dead to rights Hosma would have been at home. You get out of the inning. Get out of the inning. You get out of the fucking game with a win. You go back to Kansas City. The Royals don't celebrate. They're not popping champagne last night in your own ballpark. So who, as we, as people will sit here and crush Terry Collins today, who should you really be crushing? Honestly, who should you, who should be, you be crushing? I, I don't think it's Terry Collins for a couple of reasons. One, I think Matt Harvey was the guy that they should have stuck with. They, they ultimately did. I think maybe you hand, you should have handled it a little bit differently in the dugout and, and right. I, but, but forget about that. Harvey goes out for the ninth. I'm okay with that. In fact, I wanted that. But even after he lets up a walk, he walks a guy and then lets up a run with a double, you're still up by one run. You bring your closer in. You're up by one run with your closer in. All right, you felt confident about your closer before. You should still feel confident about him now. Right? And guess what? Familia didn't blow it. Your first baseman did because he couldn't play catch. He couldn't hit his catch. He couldn't hit a target. He sailed the ball over his head. And the tie and run scores. Hosma scores. I, I, I jumped out of my seat. I'm going, what are you, where are you throwing that ball? That's it. Think, think about this. Duda makes that throw. The game's over. I said inning. It's the game's over. You go back to Kansas City tomorrow night. With Jacob DeGrom on the mound. You can somehow take that. You got Noah Syndergaard on the mound. He's in the, he's in the Royals heads. You might win the World Series if Duda makes that play last night. You're going to put this on Terry Collins? Oh, come on. Let's be serious here, people. You watch the game? What happened in the ninth inning? How'd you lose? How'd you lose this game? Forget about how Kansas City won it later in the 12th. How'd you lose this game in the ninth inning? Was it, honestly, was it, because let's put it this way. Let's say you bring Familia in. Let's say you get a similar situation. 2-1. And you get started the inning. Right? Let's say that happens. You have one out. Perez at the plate. He grounds to third with a runner on third. David Wright throws it to first. Out number two. Lucas Duda. Oh, sees Eric Cosma running home because the Royals basically, at that point, playing with, I mean, they're playing with nothing to lose. Right? They know. They're going back to Kansas City. I tell you what. You make that throw, and it, we could talk about the pressure and maybe not being ready for it. I'm sorry. You got to. Major League Baseball player. If y'all Lucas Duda, you know there's a runner on third. As that ball's hit towards the third base side, you know ball's coming to me. First thing I'm doing, I, I, first thing I'm doing with this ball is thinking about going home. That's it. And you can't make that throw. You sail that thing over the catcher's head. Run scores. He was Hosma was dead to rights, and it wouldn't have even been close. And you win the game. I mean. It's for people to sit here today and put this thing on Terry Collins. I don't. I'm not going to do that. I can't do it. Can't do it. I told you I disagree with maybe the fact that they even told him they were taking him out of the game because I think he should have stayed in the game. But ultimately, you know what? He, they kept him in the game, and and ultimately, that's the guy. Matt Harvey was the guy that I want on the mound in that situation. In that that night, that situation last night, 
given the series that Javi was the guy. And if he goes out there and he fucks up, then you pull him, much like you did. And when you do pull him, Familia does everything you wanted him to do. You get the ground ball to third base. You, they give, the Royals gave you a gift. The Royals were giving you an out. Eric Hosmer said, here, I'm going home. You guys can get me if you can make a simple throw that's made in any Little League ballpark all summer long. It's not like it's one thing if you have to throw that ball from like right field and it's got to be on the money, right at the baseline, right at the bottom of the plate, right? Dino's got to catch that in the position that he's going to make the tag. It's not even the situation. You had to take the ball if you're Lucas Duda and you just had to throw it to throw it in his chest, throw it at it, just play catch. And, and Dino would have had enough time to take the ball, maybe, um, I mean, he would have been able to open a bag of peanuts, you know, crack a couple open, then make the tag. It was, it, that was it. They've given you a gift. And you throw it over his fucking head. If I'm a Mets fan, that's the guy I'm pissed at today. Lucas Duda. I'm mad at Daniel Murphy. And I know it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult to be mad at Daniel Murphy because of the postseason the guy had. You're probably not in the World Series if it isn't for the way Daniel Murphy hit the ball in the first two series in the NLDS and NLCS. I get it. Um, I mean, but you could say that about uh, the whole rotation, really. You could say that about everybody in that rotation for the Mets. But, uh, I mean, you can't make those errors. And then you get to the 12th inning last night, and I know people want to ignore what happened in the 12th because – it should have never even got that far. The Mets should have won it in nine innings. What? Since you, you know, you made the mistake. Duda made the terrible throw and you get to the 12th. Well, what happened? <laughs> you had Addison Reed on the mound. You ended up then having Bartolo Colon. But how about Christian Colon? Christian Colon. Again, first postseason at bat. And he took with two strikes. He drove in the game winning run. In his first at-bat of the postseason. His first at-bat since October 4th. You know, you get that the whole situation there. Dyson comes in. Steals second. I mean, advances to third. On the ground to the right side. And then you get Cologne. Comes in uh, with the big hit. And then Escobar doubled. Scored another one. And at that point, you have to intentionally walk Zobrist. And Bartolo Colon comes in. But Reed was no good. He wanted to go with this slider that with two strike sliders that were just flat and over the plate. I mean, come on. So that was it. I mean, the game was over. But Daniel Murphy, he made an error. He could have turned two and kept it a one-run game after the Kansas City Royals took the 3-2 lead. After the Colon single that scored Dyson, Royals have a 3-2 lead. Then... Then Daniel Murphy made another error. Now, this one, it was spinning. It was kind of a crazy but crazy play. But I still think, look, that's an error. And he might have been able to turn two. Might have been able to turn two. And if he turns two there, you get out of the inning. You're down 3-2. You go bottom of the 12th. You only need one run. You know that. Now, obviously, Wade Davis comes in. They probably would have had no shot anyways. But there's a much different mindset than being down 3-2 in the bottom of the last inning than being down 7-2. to So they could not minimize the damage. The Mets could not minimize the damage. Daniel Murphy, another error for the second straight night in a big spot. 
And uh, Wade Davis comes in, and he gets he comes in. He's just dominant, just dominant. And the Kansas City Royals win the World Series. Here's the call nationally from Joe Buck on Fox Sports. The one two again. Great call from Joe Buck right there. I'm a big Joe Buck fan. Anytime I hear his voice, I know he's a big game. He actually shows some enthusiasm when he makes this call, right? Shows the enthusiasm. Uh, Enthusiasm that was not shown somehow when Kansas City's radio guys on KCSP, the Royals radio network, gave this call for the Royals winning the World Series. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you think the local guys should be a little bit more jacked up than the national guy? Again, that's why Joe Buck is great. And the call would have been like that for either team that won the World Series. But the Royals Radio Network, here's their call. Royals 7, Mets 2, bottom of the 12th inning. The Royals are one strike away. One ball, two strikes. Davis comes to the plate. Strike three call. It's over. They've done it. The Royals are World Series champions. The world champion Kansas City Royals. It's been 30 years. Royals fans, let's get the party started. I mean, what was that? Don't you just think it it just needed to be? Now, I get it. You're up 7-2. So you kind of know that you won the game in the previous inning. And they were excited for those when those runs scored. And they were excited for the plays in the ninth when Hosmer scored coming home from third, and Lucas Duda sails that ball over his catcher's head up and wide. I mean, so they were excited then, but the final call, you win a World Series, it's got to be more exciting than that, especially for the local guys. But I, that, what a brutal call that was. What a brutal call that was. So the Royals are world champs. They win it in five games. Your MVP is Salvador Perez, Royals catcher Salvador Perez. Now, uh, Perez in the World Series, he hit three sixty four. Hit 364, only had two RBIs. Uh, He only struck out two times. Um, 22 at-bats. He had eight hits, so eight for 22 in in the five World Series games. Perez hit 364. I think, you know who I would have given it to? I would have given it to Lorenzo Cain. I would have. I would have given it to Lorenzo Cain. Uh, The number three hitter in this lineup, and I look at Kane's World Series. He only had 227. Drove in four runs, though, and 22 at-bats. Uh, he walked four times. But he stole He stole four bases in the World Series alone. Four bases in the World Series. And you look at last night, Lorenzo Kane. he doubled in the 12th. Scored a couple runs there. It was a three-run double, a bases-clearing double. He opened the floodgates. It was a 4-2 game. Kane steps to the plate, and he goes to left center. Three-run scored, 7-2 Kansas City. Lorenzo Kane, to me, I would have given him the MVP. I would have given him the MVP. I think you also could have thought about Escobar. Escobar, their leadoff hitter, he hit 231. Um, This is a guy that... Drove in four runs as well in this. 
Uh, you could have given it to Escobar. Escobar can't. I probably would have given it to Lorenzo Cain. But they give it to Salvador Perez, who hit 364 in the World Series. Uh, it was an exciting World Series, but a World Series that I thought, you know, the Mets are going to look back at this one and say, man, maybe they wouldn't have won it, but this should have won seven. This should be going the distance. You, The Mets could have put themselves in position to give them, you know, give them a chance to win in Kansas City with the Grom and Synagogue. And they, they couldn't do it. And they made a couple big, big mistakes. Credit to the Kansas City Royals for being a team that is feisty, has a whole lot of heart, that had the World Series experience in their favor because they were there last year. They went out, they got Cueto, they got the pitching, they got the bullpen. Uh, they had all the pieces to the championship team, but even with those pieces, I thought the Mets could have done some things a little bit differently, like not making some crucial errors in big spots that could have, I don't want to say won them the World Series because, you know, I, I'm not so sure that that as the series played out and you saw Kansas City hit and you saw them hit the Grom, especially in that game number two, I, I don't know that the Mets would have won it, even though before the series I picked them to win. But at least if you're the Mets, you should be looking at this series going, hey, we gave our best effort and uh, we played our best baseball. We just lost this thing in six or seven because they had home field. It was in Kansas City and tip our cap to them. I, I don't think you can say that if you're a Mets fan or a Mets player. You have to look at the mistakes you made. Your closer blue game number one with the Alex Gordon home run uh, who tied the game in game one. Right? So, Familia blew that one. And then you get the error in game four. And uh, last night, obviously, we can look all we want at the decisions Terry Collins made. We can look at the Matt Harvey Familia situation. But I'm sorry. Lucas Duda, you make, an, you make an easy throw home. Doesn't have to be on the money. It just has to be so that your catcher can catch it. He makes a throw. Inning over. Game over. You go back to Kansas City. You got a day off today. You got tonight off. Kansas City tomorrow night on Tuesday night. And you got the Grom, who's been a warrior on the road in this postseason, outside of game two, of course. But for the most part, you got to feel good having the Grom on that mound. You don't even get that moment. You don't even get that spot. So, um, quite the World Series, but it should have gone a little bit longer than it did and if I'm going to put the blame on someone last night, I'm not putting it on Terry Collins. I'm not putting it on Matt Harvey. I'm not putting it on even Familia because he got the ball hit to third base, the left side of the infield that he wanted. He got the ball that he wanted. But Lucas Duda could not make the play home, which, again, I cannot stress enough. It wasn't like this magical play he had to make, this magical throw that he had to put on the money while he was on the run or thrown from right field. He's throwing from first base. Just hit the catcher. Hit him somewhere. Just make it catchable for him, and he's got enough time to get Hosma at home. He does. And they would have won the game. Would have won a 2-1. So congratulations to the Kansas City Royals. The good news for both of these teams is that, look, the Royals got you Donovan Tura. I don't know that they're going to keep Cueto around because Cueto's going to go out and get the big money contract, and I don't know that he's going to get it in Kansas City. And, I mean, if I had to make a bet, he wouldn't be getting it in Kansas City, and he is going to move on. Uh, they have Ventura, though, still. You know, you see what happens with Volquez. 
there's always the possibility that the Royals could add someone else to their rotation. Or for all we know, have some young up-and-coming kid that's going to be able to be dominant next season. You know, they got that lineup, the resilient, feisty bunch that they've shown they can be the last couple of years. They got some superstar players at the top of that lineup in Escobar as we saw him emerge uh, with Lorenzo Cain, you know, I mean, this is a, this Kansas City team, I don't think they're going anywhere. I still think that they can have their division on lockdown. And for all we know, next year at the deadline, the Royals go out and, sure, they might lose Cueto this offseason, but maybe they go out and they add another pitcher at the deadline who's a rental next year. Maybe they do. And if you're a Mets fan today, I'm sure you're sick to your stomach and you're going to have a sour taste in your mouth for a long time. And I feel bad for you because if this was the Red Sox that – the first baseman threw that ball past the catcher last night. I, I'd i be sick to my stomach today, too. Uh, but big picture with the Mets, they're in a great situation. Syndergaard, DeGrom, don't forget, you got Zach Wheeler, who's going to be coming back middle of next season from Tommy John. Um, Matt Harvey, you know, he's going to be there, though, and I don't think the Matt Harvey plan will extend to next year, will it? You know, if, if if anything happened last night for you, Matt Harvey won some people back and maybe won the front office. I don't know if he, if anybody in the front office stopped enjoying his presence on the team based on the things that were happening late in the season. But, you know, if they did stop enjoying his presence on this team, which is hard to do when he's pitching as good as he was last night, and that's the type of pitcher he is, the type of ace pitcher. But if they did not like his attitude and they were going to think about moving him, I think last night, his attitude last night might have changed the minds of some people in that front office, if they felt that anyways. But I think the Mets, you got to feel good about what you have. I do. got to feel good about what you have long term. Yeah. And uh, look, Mets will be back. They'll be battling with the Cubs. I could see that just being a, a, a phenomenal rivalry in the National League the next couple of years. And Kansas City, like I mentioned, they are not going anywhere either. Even if they lose Cueto, there are still other options out there and things that they can do. Like I said, you get to the deadline and maybe make another move next year to try to get a top stud pitcher. Who knows? Uh, maybe you got someone waiting in the wings. I don't know enough about Kansas City's minor league system to sit here and tell you that they got this kid, the other kid, and that kid in the minors in double A that could be ready to step up. But, you know, from what we've seen from them with their young kids moving up, uh, would you be surprised? I know I wouldn't. So congrats to the Kansas City Royals and to Mets fans. Just if you can survive here the next couple months, uh, you'll be all right. You'll be back next season to the World Series. There's a possibility. You could be. And who knows? Maybe you do what Kansas City did. You get back, maybe you win it. You're going to have the rotation to be able to do that. That's for sure. So that's sort of on the bright side of things. But while this game was going on last night, uh, I was... Kind of paying attention to the Denver-Green Bay game as that was the game that uh, wrapped up Sunday's NFL action. We got Monday night football tonight. The Carolina Panthers, they are going to host the Indianapolis Colts in this one. It was The Monday night game is not part of Picks Picks. Neither was the Sunday night game last night with Denver beating the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Denver Broncos undefeated, Packers with one loss. I mean, look, that doesn't end the Packers' season. And I know that if you look at the standings, it does show that the Minnesota Vikings are right up their ass. The Vikings win yesterday, and they beat the Bears in Chicago, a game that Minnesota should win. And the Vikings are 5-2, and two, right behind the Packers at 6-1. and one. But even with that said, Green Bay's still going to win the division. They're still going to win the division. 
But you got to look, Carolina's undefeated. I think Carolina's going to win tonight. You know, do they cover at six and a half? It's gone down to six and a half against the Colts in Carolina. Um, I, I stayed away from it then. I'm going to stay away from it now. But I could see, I mean, I could see Carolina winning this game. I could. I have bought into Carolina. I've bought into Cam Newton. I've bought into the Panthers. And I think they'll leave tonight's Monday Night Football game at home against Indy still undefeated. So now in the NFC, you're looking around going, all right, who are the first, who are the top two teams going to be? Who are the top two seeds? Green Bay still has a shot to be a top two seed and get that home field advantage. Because I don't think Carolina is going to finish the season undefeated, right? They're going to lose a game. Um, and Arizona, as we know, they've already lost two. They're six and two. Atlanta, they lost again yesterday. They're six and two as well. Look out for the St. Louis Rams, though. Four and three. Another win for the Rams yesterday. I know they only beat the 49ers, and it wasn't St. Louis. But Todd Gurley, man, he is a weapon. And he might be the most dangerous player in football, especially now that Le'Veon Bell got injured, and it looks like he might be out for the season. Right? So... Todd Gurley is a guy that you could, I think, make an argument to be the most dangerous player in football right now outside of, of course, look, of course, I mean, outside of guys like Tom Brady and even Aaron Rodgers, as bad as it looked last night for Green Bay's offense, credit where credit's due, Denver's defense, uh, they have the type of playmaking D that can get to the quarterback and that can get to the quarterback in a way, and you know, you could say, well, why, how are they getting to the quarterback? Are they, getting, are they using their upfront presence that's helping their secondary, or is their secondary helping them have time to get to Aaron Rodgers? I think it's a little bit of both, but you credit the secondary as well because they got the playmakers out there who have been phenomenal in coverage this season. So Denver, I know it doesn't look great for their offense. Peyton Manning, another game last night where he doesn't throw a touchdown, but he made some big throws on the money, uh, some of them deep downfield. And he threw for over 300 yards, threw one interception, but uh, Denver's defense is the reason why I look at that Week 12 game between the Patriots and the Broncos in Denver. You saw it last night. That type of defensive performance from the Broncos, that is kind of why I look at that game in Week 12 and say it's it's not a definite win for the Patriots. A lot of them are. Like this Sunday, coming up at Gillette against the Washington Redskins, this is a game that the Patriots will absolutely win. They are not losing to the Redskins. Kirk Cousins is not coming into Gillette and beating the Patriots on Sunday at 1. The opening spread right now is 14. Patriots 14-point favorites. Uh, it's high. And I tell you, any time an NFL spread is two touchdowns or 14, I stay away from it. NFL, I think it's too high for any team. College, it's not. But NFL, it is, I feel like. Uh, but the Patriots, they should win, and they should win pretty good. But with the 14, you're always scared of the backdoor cover late in a blowout. You have a 21-point game, all of a sudden, Kirk Cousins, you know, he, he's feeling good about himself in a final drive in which human nature is creeping up on the Patriots' defense, and they kind of play a little laid-back style D, knowing they got the game in the books. Next thing you know, uh, the, the Redskins, they rush it downfield. They have a couple big plays and they score a touchdown, it's a backdoor cover. Uh, yeah, anytime there's a 14-point spread, I'd be scared of that in the NFL. But the Patriots, money line, guaranteed victory for the New England Patriots. Right? Guaranteed. But that one in Week 12 against Denver will not be. And I think if you watched that game last night and saw Denver's defense, that is really why I believe that. 
That's why I believe that. So, uh, but we have time to break that down. It was only week eight, and in week eight, my picks, I had the Vikings plus one over the Bears in Chicago. I got that right. I had the Chargers plus three and a half over the Ravens in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore ended up winning this game with a late field goal. They beat the Chargers 29 to 26 as the Ravens get their second win of the season. San Diego is just a, a, a team that'll drive you crazy. I can't even imagine what it's like to be a Chargers fan. You, a couple weeks ago, you go into Lambeau, a place that nobody ever has a shot to win. And you almost win it. You almost win it. And then you get crushed by the Raiders. And then you go to Baltimore, one of the worst teams in the league, and you lose by three. This must be driving Chargers fans crazy. And I know people say, well, what Chargers fans? They don't have any. There's fans of the team. I get get what you're saying, but get what I'm saying. They still have fans. And if you are a fan of the Chargers, you must be going nuts. I don't know how... You lose to the Ravens. I mean, come on now. The Ravens lose Steve Smith. Doesn't look like Steve Smith is going to be back. We might see the last of Steve Smith. This is a guy that I thought, still, even though he said he didn't want to be traded, NFL trade deadline is tomorrow on Tuesday, November 3rd. I thought, you never know. Maybe Carolina. Maybe they try to bring Steve Smith back. But not anymore. Steve Smith with a very bad injury. Looked like an Achilles. Keep an eye on it after some tests and how much time he'll actually need off. But, I mean, the Ravens aren't doing anything this season. Anyways, they're 2-6. and six. The Chargers should not lose to the Ravens. But they did. Good thing for me, the Chargers covered. I took them at plus 3.5. So they cover. So I win that one. So those are the two. Those are my only two wins on the week. I got two wins. I went 2-3. and three. My season record now, 18-21-1. The one being a push a couple weeks ago. Uh, so picks, picks for the NFL. After week eight, I went two and three this week. Two wins, three losses. My season record, 18-21-1. My losses this week were the Jets minus three over the Raiders in Oakland. See, a, a couple of my losses, injury stuff went on. Like, the Jets the Jets got whooped by the Raiders in Oakland, and I did not expect that. But, hey, credit where credit's due. I mean... The Raiders scored 34 points on the Jets' defense. And uh, Derek Carr, 22, excuse me, 23 of 36 for 333 yards passing, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Derek Carr is looking like a special quarterback in this league, and I've been saying that now for a couple weeks, but I did not expect them, as special as I thought he was looking, and as good as I thought this Oakland Raiders team was with regards to the type of weapons that they had, uh, I didn't think Oakland was going to put up 34 points on one of the best defenses in the league. On top of that, the Jets, they dealt with an injury very early. Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down with that thumb injury, and all of a sudden, you're going to put Geno Smith in the game. And Geno Smith, you tell me this. Is this the dumbest quarterback in the league? He's running down the right sideline in this game. He's a huge gain. All you got to do is step out of bounds. That's it. Just go. Just get out of bounds. What do you do? You run down the right sideline and you take a big hit. And it wasn't, I mean, it was a, this was one of the biggest hits I've seen all season. But there's no need for you to take that hit. All you got to do is step out of bounds. You moron. And you know what? He hurt his left shoulder. And that shoulder was hurting him all game. I just think he was too embarrassed to come out of the game. 
He played hurt. He hurt his shoulder on that play. I don't care what type of injury they're giving you. That was, he hurt himself on that play. And that, you had to put Ryan Fitzpatrick back in late in the game. So you had to play out of the shotgun. So he couldn't take that snap on a center with that thumb injury. Four of five with the thumb injury, 46 yards, but nothing. The Jets lose to the Raiders. They're now, the Jets are now four and three. And that was a loss for me because it took the Jets minus three. And then I lost the Steelers, speaking of injuries. I had the Steelers beating the Bengals in Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger came back. Steelers are minus one. So it's basically a pick em. I think Steelers are going to win the game. They at least win it by three. And uh, it was looking good. Steelers, at least their defense was playing great. But they lose Le'Veon Bell early in this game. And, and if you've seen Le'Veon Bell, obviously you know how good he is and how much of a difference maker he is in a game. And he would have been a huge difference maker. Cincinnati wins it 16-10. Big Ben didn't look great. But if you have Le'Veon Bell, you're obviously your offense looks different. It looks different. And certain times that you try to force some throws down the field, I get that D'Angelo Williams comes in and everybody in fantasy is going to pick up D'Angelo Williams, right? M- much like a lot of people picked up uh, Chan Kondrick West for Kansas City. D'Angelo Williams rushed for 71 yards yesterday. Uh, he also caught four passes out of the backfield for 39 yards. Uh, no touchdowns for D'Angelo Williams yesterday, though. And uh, that'll be a guy, like I said, a lot of people look to pick up now for Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell being out. But you lose Le'Veon Bell early in this game yesterday, and it changes everything that y'all looking to do offensively because as much as people pick up a D'Angelo Williams in fantasy, he is not Le'Veon Bell. So you lose a, a, a game changer like that, a playmaker like Le'Veon Bell, your, your offense is going to feel the effects. You lose 16-10 to 10 to Cincinnati. Cincinnati stays undefeated now at 7-0. and uh, but that was a game that Pittsburgh could have won. And if you have Bell in that game, could be the difference maker. And could have given Pittsburgh a win. I mean, I think you're at least a team that put yourself in scoring position a couple more times than you did. And, uh, you know, probably moves the chains a couple more times with Le'Veon Bell. A couple more big plays. Probably a couple more scores. And maybe like a 20-16 to 16 win. Who knows? But it was, it, it did affect the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. That is for sure. So the Bengals win, I lose that. So those are my two. And then you get the four o'clocks, and I got the Seahawks minus six and a half over the Cowboys in Dallas. Seahawks win the game, much like I expect them to in Dallas. And now the Seattle Seahawks are four and four, back to 500. Uh, a tougher division than maybe anybody expected it, with St. Louis looking very good right now at four and three. Arizona with a win over Cleveland, Arizona six and two. Uh, but the Seahawks, I expected them to go into Dallas and win. Dallas still with Matt Castle. And uh, Dallas with a couple big defensive plays. Greg Hardy with one of them. And uh, the Cowboys, they ended up covering. But late in this game, there was a play where Seattle's defense recovered a fumble. It was ruled on the field as a fumble by Castle. And they scored. And it would have covered for me because Seattle wins 13-12. to But they were a 6.5-point favorite on the road. I took Seattle and... Uh, I was going nuts. I'm like, this is big for me. This is big for picks. Picks gets me above 500. Means I'm chipping away, working my way back to 500 on the season. And they they go back, they review it, they say it wasn't a fumble. And we were going back and forth uh, here at Beantown Athletics before I jumped on and started recording today's podcast as to whether or not that was a fumble. 
and, and Troy Aikman, people on the broadcast, people on Twitter, they were so dead set. They were like, oh, that's a terrible call. It's definitely not a fumble. And they ruled it that they overturned it. They ruled that it wasn't a fumble. And the Cowboys kept the ball. So Seattle's defensive touchdown did not count. And Seattle only won by one point. But I look at the replay. Castle's arm got hit. He loses possession of the football. Loses possession. And his arm goes forward. It looks like he threw it. But he's really just batting the ball. And I'm saying to myself, he lost possession when, when the hand hit the elbow. That's a fumble. I still look at that and I kind of think that's a fumble. And, you know, people in here were telling me at Beantown, like, well, you can't just bat the ball, though. You know, much like we got that play in which Seattle's player bats the ball out of the back of the end zone. And uh, everybody was up in arms. You can't do that. You can't bat the ball up the field on purpose. But if you're Matt Castle, you lose possession. That's just a follow-through. I don't necessarily know that that can be ruled a batted ball on purpose, right? You bat it, but if it's not on purpose, it's not a penalty. Right? So, I don't know. I thought he lost possession. It was very small, a very tiny loss of possession, but I thought he did. And that would have covered for me. Maybe that was just a... That was just a minus six and a half talking, maybe. But I, I'm telling you right now, I still think that was a fumble from Castle. I, I don't care what people tell me. I, I know what I saw, and I saw him lose possession. I did. I saw him lose possession, and I didn't see him completely regain uh, the possession with the hand on the ball. I thought he was just sort of going through, following through in the motion, and the ball happened to be sort of, uh, touching his hand, but he was not actually holding it. It's it's very minuscule, and, and um, I, I know what you're thinking. You can't just also, if that's the case, you can't bat balls around on purpose. Well, what if he didn't do it on purpose? I mean, he's just trying to, his arm's going forward at that point, just reactionary. Either way, they overturned it. Seattle did not score another touchdown. They win the game 13-12 over the Cowboys, but they did not cover the 6.5. And that was my third loss, so I was 2-3 and three on the weekend. And now my season record, 18-21-1. and one. I'll be back next week, though. Don't worry about it. I still, like I said, I didn't account for Le'Veon Bell getting hurt. Right? I didn't account for Ryan Fitzpatrick going out of that game and Geno Smith playing like an idiot. I didn't account. I mean, I don't feel bad about these picks. Jets defense? I, know, I like Oakland's offense, but Jets defense going to let up 34 points? I did not see that happening. And... Of course, the Seahawks, you know, it was just, I guess you could say maybe I went out on a limb, but the Cowboys are terrible. Cowboys are terrible. And, and the Seahawks, I don't know if it's their play calling or what, but can you please, can you find a way to have a couple huge Jimmy Graham games? He had 75 yards receiving yesterday, no touchdowns, targeted 10 times. But come, I feel like you know, I need a couple more huge Jimmy Graham games. wasn't terrible, but I need like, he had 140 receiving yards a couple weeks ago. I need a couple more of those. Need a couple more. Well, the New Orleans Saints didn't need Jimmy Graham to, to put up big numbers. Drew Brees threw seven touchdown passes yesterday. I have Drew Brees in fantasy. He was projected to get 30 points. He got me 79 points projected to get 30. And that Giants-Saints game, that was just who gets the ball last in scoring position. And the Saints... They got it. I don't know why the Giants wouldn't kick it, punt it out of bounds, but they gave it to the Saints. Saints ran it up. You get in scoring position. You kick the big field goal late, and the Saints went at 52-49. to 49. Eli Manning for the Giants threw six touchdown passes, 
And for the Saints, Drew Brees threw seven. And again, I told you, I drew Brees in fantasy. Drew Brees got me 79 points yesterday. 79. And he didn't need Jimmy Graham. <laughs> but that Saints offense, I, I think there was an adjustment. Put, there was definitely an adjustment period for Drew Brees without Jimmy Graham. But also, he was dealing with the rotator cuff injury. Now things seem to be coming together with his receiving core. With that New Orleans offense, if they can figure some things out defensively, well, New Orleans, I I had them win the division before the season began. I kind of ruled them out the first couple weeks of the season based on, really based on the Drew Brees injury. Because of the injury, throwing shoulder, rotator cuff, I said, eh, losing record, they're not going to come back and win anything. I don't see that. But, hey, here are the New Orleans Saints now at 4-4 four and four in a division you know, sucks for them with Carolina uh, and Atlanta, two teams that both have six wins. But if you're looking for a wild, there's going to be a dogfight for the wild card spot in the NFC with the Rams, the Seahawks, the Falcons. I think the Saints are in that race with the Vikings. And I don't think any team in the NFC East, I think they'll continue to beat each other up. Right now, the Giants, even with that loss, they are in first place with a 4-4 four and four record in that division. But you'll have a dogfight for the, uh, for the wild cards in the NFC between the Vikings, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Rams, and the Seahawks. AFC, as it looks right now, I mean, look, Patriots, full control in their division at 7-0. Bengals, full control in their division at 7-0. Uh, the Colts, <laughs> first place in their division at three and four. I think they're going to lose tonight. Uh, but I mean, second place is Houston at three and five. Uh, the Texans beat the Titans. That who cares about that game though? The Jaguars are two and five. The Titans are one and six. That division is just a shit show. I still think the Colts will win it, win that division. But none of those teams are in the wild card hunt. AFC West, you got the Broncos in control. Of their division at seven and all. The wild cards in the AFC, Oakland's going to be in the race. I think that Pittsburgh's going to be in the race. And you got the Jets. So, I mean, that Jets loss to Oakland yesterday was huge. When you look at that, you look at maybe tiebreakers and head-to-head, that was a huge loss. And, uh, can you you know, if Kansas City had Jamal Charles still, man, they, they might still be in this. Because they don't have him, I know they won big yesterday in London over Detroit. I still don't think I could take Kansas City that seriously. So, we're here we look at through week eight almost. We got one more game tonight. Um, that's just a look at the standings and some of the teams that look like they're running away with their divisions and some of the potential wild card races in the National Football League. I'm going to stay away from this one tonight and the six and a half that Carolina is favored by. I do think Carolina is going to win the game. I'm just eh. Colts. There's always that. There's always that one thing with the Colts where I'm just thinking to myself, they could explode at any moment with it with their offense, right? With Andrew Luck at quarterback. Though, there is a story on that, too. As we cannot escape controversy in the NFL when it comes to integrity of the game. How about this story for you over the weekend with the Colts as they head into this Monday night game? Andrew Luck, who has been injured, as you know, all season long and playing through it, uh, he's got the shoulder injury. And that's what it says in the injury report. What it does not say on the team's injury report in Indianapolis is that Andrew Luck has been playing with broken ribs. 
And that was a report coming from Jay Glazer on Fox yesterday before the games that Andrew Luck also playing with broken ribs. Now, you know what I think happened here? I think that someone, either Andrew Luck, his agent, or a Colts player, someone close to Luck that was getting pissed off at people knocking Andrew Luck, people knocking the Colts offense, they wanted the real story to get out there anonymously, and they said to Glazer, you better tell people the real deal. Andrew Luck is playing with more than just a shoulder injury. He's playing with broken ribs, too. He's a tough kid. Don't shit on him. Don't say that he's going to be a bust. When you criticize him, know how banged up he's playing, how injured that he actually is, and that he's got guts. He's got balls. He's playing injured. I think somebody said that to Glazer, and I think Glazer just reported it, I think maybe even with that tone. But after he reports it, Oh, yeah, we look, we can't let the Colts off the hook. They ratted the Patriots out for something that that ended up being, you know, against the integrity of the game. Well, integrity, about being honest, right? Right, wouldn't you think? And if it's about being honest, well, the Colts aren't really being honest with their injury reports, and that is a rule. you got to be honest on your injury report. And people coming after the Colts now for not being too honest on their injury report. (sighs) I hate the Colts. I hate what they did about Deflategate. They look like a bunch of pussies. But I'll say this. Throughout Deflategate, right, my biggest message was, let's not make a big deal out of it, because this isn't a big deal. And when I look at injury reports in the NFL... And whether teams are lying or stretching the truth or just not telling us something at all that's going on, I sort of roll my eyes because I just let it go. If you look at around the, every team around the league, you mean to tell me that every team around the league, and I don't want to sit here and make this, oh, Danny's defending the Indianapolis Colts. Let's look at it this way. Team X doesn't – let me say it this way. Team X and Team Y – They come into a game, and they're not being entirely truthful on their injury report. Should we get worked up about it? I know I don't, because if you do, you're telling me that they're the only two teams that do it, that, that aren't truthful entirely on their injury report, and I don't believe that's the case. I think that there's probably a lot of teams, probably every team in the league that's not very truthful about their injury report or is either stretching the truth, or is not telling us everything there is to know. And I guess I'm okay with it. So, the part of me that vented about the Flakegate and ranted and crushed everybody, my biggest message was, I th- I'm crushing people because they're making it such a big deal. That was what I was crushing people about. And if I'm going to crush people for making the Flakegate a big deal when it wasn't a big deal at all, well... Injury report stuff, I get it. We want to crush the Colts. I hate the Colts. Um, Do I hope they pay for this? Sure, because this is against the integrity of the game, right? And if they're trying to protect the integrity of the game, they should try to protect this. But I don't know that other teams actually want this to be an issue because then you're going to get investigations and other teams, they don't want to be entirely truthful on their injury report. So we shouldn't make this a big deal. I know people here in New England want to because it's the Colts, because they're rats, because they look like big-time pussies when it came to the flake gate. But me, just the NFL fan 
you want to don't tell me the team or the people and, and give me the situation, I say, let's just move on. Honestly, let's just move on. It's not a big deal. Injury report. I mean, I, I just I don't want to get into this with every little thing that we do. I mean, I wish people didn't make the flake gate a big deal. They did, and I can under, so I can sort of understand why people want to get fired up about this one. But you ask me what I'm going to do with it? Eh, I'm I, I've moved on. I'm a, <laughs> I'm done with it. Right? I'm done with it. Injury reports. Teams are going to lie. That's it. I've accepted it. It's over. We'll live. The NFL has bigger issues than whether or not the injury reports are truthful. They have a talent issue, and somehow they need to fix that. I don't know that the commissioner can do it, but somehow that needs to be fixed. That should be the league's biggest concern right now. So uh, we got Monday night tonight, Monday night game. They're going to be talking about that, the Colts and the injury report. I'm going to just watch the football game for what it is, a football game and a Carolina Panthers team trying to stay undefeated. I believe they will. I'm just not so sure they will cover, but whatever happens tonight, in Carolina on Monday Night Football, I will react tomorrow. Also tomorrow, Rear Admiral Brian McGonigal from Boston Sports. He's going to join me in studio. Obviously, we'll talk some hockey. Who knows? Whatever else is on the table, we'll discuss it. Uh, so Brian McGonigal, also known as Rear Admiral from Boston Sports, he's going to join me in studio here at Beantown Athletics. The Bruins, they've won four straight games now. Uh, Dennis Seidenberg back practicing with the team. And then here locally, another storyline, the Celtics, they lost to the San Antonio Spurs last night, 95-87 at the Garden. The Seas were terrible from the three-point line. Here's an idea. Late in games, stop taking them, (laughs) right? Stop taking a three-point shot. But Celtics, they're, they're not the Spurs. Both teams are deep for different reasons. Celtics are deep with talented players the Spurs are deep with all-star superstar players two different things and the team with the all-star superstar NBA players are gonna win more times than not over the team that doesn't really have any even though I told you I like the C's I like where they're going uh, I like their depth they need to somehow as I've been telling you since day one trim a couple guys shave a couple guys off of this roster to make the rotation a little bit smaller once they do that they figure that out I think this is a Celtics team that is going to win anywhere from 46 to 48 games, get a 4-5 seed in the playoffs, and maybe win one round. Who knows? Based on the second-round matchup, maybe they can win a second round. But let's get let's play some regular season basketball first. But that's just a couple things that are going on here locally. I'm sure we'll get to more of that tomorrow with Rear Admiral from Boston Sports. Uh, get this show five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, anywhere. Podcasts are available. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. Once again, congratulations to the Kansas City Royals. You are world champs. Spring training right around the corner. But I'm out for now. I'll talk to you tomorrow.